Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and we're so honored to have you with us here today. If it's your first Sunday, we're just so honored that you're here. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, before we get started with our message, I want to take just a moment to talk about our legacy offering. I announced just a few weeks ago uh, that on December 8th, we'll be taking up legacy offering here at the Gathering Church. Let me give you a little bit of information about this if you're just showing up for the first time. Uh, we are a brand new church and we believe that God has called us into this city, into this time, into this place to leave a lasting legacy, a legacy of life change here in our city, a legacy of freedom and purpose here, and, and then uh, to leave an eternal legacy uh, on as many people as we possibly can. And so we have chosen four distinct areas that we are investing as much as we can into uh, in order to leave that legacy. And um, so we are inviting you to partner with us. The reason that we announced this a few weeks out and have been talking about it is we do not believe uh, in giving out of compulsion or guilt. Uh, we, we do not want to bring a, a, an offering heavy pressure onto you and and, and try to just pressure as many people into giving as possible. What we would rather do is share with you what we're doing a few weeks out so you have time to plan and prepare and pray and then tell you what we intend to do with it. And then instead of us asking you to give, what we would do is ask you to ask God how he would have you be a part of this or if he would have you be a part of this. Uh, and so last week we talked about our first legacy lane, which was church planning. This week I want to talk about our second legacy lane out of four, and that is the Gathering Church, our church here. We are a young church, only three years old, and uh, this year our young church became fully self-sustaining financially. That is rare. That is amazing. Yes, that is a big deal. That is because of your generosity, and we are so honored and grateful. Uh, what that means is, uh, uh, when a church, when our church first started, uh, we relied entirely on outside giving uh, from other churches and people, and we no longer rely on that support in order to exist. Now, thanks to your generosity, we function uh, consistently on a 90-10 budget, which means we tithe the top 10% and then run on the other 90% with our goal for next year being to be able to run on an 80-10-10 budget, which would be to tithe 10%, save 10%, and run on the remaining 80. We are well on track to that goal. We've hit it three out of the last six months uh, and believe that it will not be long before that is our regular and we will... Uh, our endeavor will be to in increase those margins as we grow. Um, and so, as a new church there are that is just now walking on its own, we still have some costs, a lot of costs associated with being portable that exist outside of our regular budget. And so this campaign will allow us to do some necessary updating and purchasing in order to continue to create excellent, safe, and clean environments for our kids and for our worship experience. And that is not all. We do not plan on being portable forever. Our goal is to start an exploration fund that we will feed for the next three years uh, with the goal of at that time pursuing a permanent home for the gathering church. Our goal, yeah, is to take on as little debt as possible and to be as wise as possible 
in that, and uh, this is a very difficult city uh, for real estate, and so that is why we are starting to prepare for this now. And so I wanted to let you know that that is where our eyes are on the future, that when you give to this legacy offering, you are a part of uh, leaving a legacy in our city by creating a permanent home for this church that God has planted here. And so uh, we are very excited about that. That is December 8th. And so let me encourage you to be asking God how you can be a part of it. Today, we are in week three out of a five-week series called Stress Out. It was originally gonna be a four-week series, but trying to pack all of this into four weeks stressed me out. And so we have added a week onto the back end. And here, here's the, the idea is that we know that this is a stressful time of year is that this time of year we have all of the regular stresses like school and, and our kids' activities and, and getting people to the places they need to be. Work is, is always more intense towards the end of the year. There's projects and all that. And then you add on to that the holiday season. And we know there's a lot of stress associated with the holiday season, a lot of money that needs to get spent. There is a 28-pound a butterball turkey at the Ingles with your name on it. And, and we've got to buy a bigger stove to be able to fit that big old bird in, and, and then there's all the Christmas planning and preparation, and family is coming into town, and we got to think about how we're going to get this family member to get along with this family member, and how we're going to keep them separated just enough, but still make our, our family gathering feel like it's unified, and, and we're getting a little bit stressed out just thinking about all the ways it can stress us out. And so what I believe is that our Father uh, offers us freedom in absolutely every way, that there is not a single weight that we have to carry, there is not a single area that holds us back that He does not offer freedom from, and that includes stress. I, I think often we talk about stress in terms of management. We are going to manage stress. We will manage it because we will always have it, but I do not accept that that is the way we have to live as followers of Jesus. And so in this series, instead of talking about managing stress, we are talking about how to get the stress out of our lives. We want to get joy in and stress out. That is the dream that he has for us. We've been looking at Luke chapter uh, 21, verse 34, as our theme verse for this series, and it says, be careful, be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap, and we've talked about suddenly in this series, and, and we've talked about our time, and we've talked about the weight, and what I want to spend the next couple of weeks talking about is the anxieties of life, these, these things that are a part of our lives, that are a part of all of our lives, that cause us so much stress. Next week, when you come back, we're going to be talking about stress in relationships, how to get the stress out of our relationships and, and the way that we deal with people. We're going to talk about the stressful people in your life. Come to church with a stressful person in mind, and, and just so you know, somebody might be coming to church with you on their minds, and we're going to talk about that too next week. We're going to get the stress out of our relationships, and then the week after that, as we close, we'll talk about work and how we get the stress out of our workplace. We, we're going to call that one, Take This Job and Love It. It says, take this job. And, um, and so I won't sing it. I sang last week, and you people hated it. And so I'll never do it again. You've ruined me. And, um, and so this week, what I want to talk about is, uh, is, is a big area of stress. In fact, the American Association of Psychology has said this is the number two cause of stress in the American culture, and that is money. 
money. We're going to talk about our stress associated with money and how to get the stress out of our finances. Money is everybody's favorite topic at church. We all wake up and get dressed for church and think, I sure hope we're talking about money today. I hope the pastor brings up money. Did you know that uh, the second most popular thing that Jesus talked about in his ministry was money? Money. It was the kingdom of God. And did you know that the Bible talks about money more than 2,000 times, how we should spend it, how we should view it, how we should manage it, it's how we should pursue it. It's all over the Bible. And so all this good wisdom and all this teaching on money, and yet for most of us, it is a leading cause of stress in our lives. We do not have to live this way. We we, we live in a culture where everyone around us is stressed about money, and so it feels normal and it feels natural, but I do not believe that that is the way we have to live. In fact, out of all the areas that we cover in this series, I think that money is the most practical, it's the easiest practically to get stress out of your life. There are some real specific and basic principles that we can follow with our finances that will keep the stress out of your money. And so uh, before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about why I think money stresses us out so much, why I think this is such a big area of stress for us. I want to look at a story in Luke 15, uh, the story of the prodigal son. Many of us are familiar with it, but I think this prodigal son does a lot of things with his money that many of us do and that cause us a great deal of stress. So look at that story in verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. This story starts out shocking for the people living in the culture that heard it first. It was not a normal thing to receive your inheritance while your father was still living. It's still not a normal thing to receive your inheritance while your father is still living. But back then, it was one of the biggest ways to insult your family. It was like cutting yourself out of the family picture, saying, to me, all you are good for is what you will leave me when you are gone, and I would like it today. And so this, this story kind of starts off in a shocking place, and it starts with our main character, the prodigal son, wanting what is waiting for him today, wanting it right now. I think money stresses us out when we want everything right now, instant gratification. That's what our country is running on right now. The American debt machine is what's currently fueling our economy. The average American has $38,000 in debt, excluding mortgages. 50 years ago, the average cost of a house was 2.5 times the average income. Today, the average cost of a house is 8.2 times the average income. 50 years ago, 12% of people used a loan to buy a car, with the average term being 12 months. Today, 58% of car sales are financed with the average payment of $529 over 69 months. One more, if you're not stressed yet. The average American household carries $16,000 in credit card debt. This is all evidence that more and more each year, culturally, we want what we want, and we want it when we want it. It paints a clear picture of what happens when we allow instant gratification to fuel our economy. 
We need to slow down. We need to learn the art of delayed gratification. We want, at 25 years old, what we see our parents with and what took them 40 years to earn and get. We want it now. We want it younger. We want to post it on Instagram. We want to be an influencer. We want what we want, and we want it now. And it causes us so much stress. Next, I think that money stresses us out when we engage in self-destructive behavior. Self-destructive behavior. That son gets that money right when he wants it. His father gives him his portion of his inheritance, and he goes, and it says in verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. I think so many of us are stressed out about money uh, because like the son in this parable, we are squandering our money in self-destructive behavior. We allow self-destructive behavior to be a big part of our finances. The gambling industry in the United States takes in $240 billion a year. A quarter of a trillion dollars that we are spending on chance, on entertainment, just for a moment. Or maybe shopping is your vice. When you get stressed out, you fill up that Amazon cart. Where's my shopaholics at? That Amazon cart just gets fuller and fuller the more stressed you get. I think right now I have eight items in my Amazon cart. I'm speaking to you as you today. This is me. This is my struggle. Is this area, uh, uh, I just want, I just want to, to shop a little bit. It's going to make me feel a little bit better. Or, or, or you go searching for that new pair of shoes to cheer you up. Or you go out, you had, I had a hard week. I deserve this jacket that's like the other seven jackets I have in my closet, you know? Or you go out on weekends maybe and you drink $300. One thing that I used to do that, uh, that brought my wife a lot of stress was something called, she would call it stupid generosity. Stupid generosity is when you are generous with money you do not have. That this was, I would take all my friends, I'd say, let's go out, guys, let's all go out. And I'd take all my friends out and we'd go do a bunch of cool stuff. And I'd be like, you know what? I got it. Let me pay for it. I'm just, I love you guys, man. Let me buy dinner and drinks and let's go out later and I'll do that. I'll pay for that too. And, and I would pay for my friends and Ray would see this bill. She'd be like, how much did you spend? I'd like, well, I spent this much. But I just wanted to be generous because I love these guys so much. And she said, but you don't have that money. So it's not generosity, it's stupidity. Stupid generosity is not real generosity. Maybe you're, you're stressed out because of self-destructive behaviors. Or maybe you're stressed out about money because you are spending all of it. All of it. In Luke 5, chapter 15, verse 14, it says, after he had spent everything. My dad used to tell me whenever we would get birthday money, just because you have it doesn't mean you have to spend it. And he would say that right before we went to the toy store. How many of you know I did not receive that advice? I was in that toy store with $20 trying to figure out how to spend exactly $20. In fact, what I would usually do is go to my mom and say, Mom, can I have another $6 because it's just a little bit more than what I got. And my mom is a good mother, don't you know? She said, of course, honey. And now, as an adult, here we are doing the same thing. I've I, almost got enough. This credit card, this loan will get me the rest of the way. 
We spend every penny we have. Maybe you are an adult doing the same thing, making $4,500 a month and spending $4,500 a month down to the penny, paycheck to paycheck. And as our income increases, so do our car payments. So do our house payments. We have more money to spend, and so we buy more expensive groceries. Where are my Whole Foods people at? Don't raise your hand because I'll know you're bad with money. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I had a couple one time ask me for some financial wisdom, and they came in and they said, uh, we're having struggling. Can you help us? And I said, sure, I'll try. And I said, bring me your grocery receipts. Bring me, they were living, they were struggling, living paycheck to paycheck. So just bring me your grocery receipts for a month and let's look at that. Let's start there. Let's see what we can change. And their grocery receipts in one month was $700 for two people. My family of four spends significantly less than that every month. And so I was asking questions, trying to figure out what was going on here. We have an avocados at every meal. What's the deal? And I discovered that they would only shop at the Whole Foods groceries. Gave Aldi no love. And I said, here's your first step. Ingles, okay? I'm just saying, advantage card. And so here's my point. I've offended a lot of you guys. I could tell you love your Whole Foods. It's fine. We can, we can find a better way, though. Just because you don't have, but just because you have it doesn't mean you need to spend it. And if you do, it will cause you more stress because look what happens to this man in the story. He spends everything that he has, everything, no margin, no leftover. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. We get stressed out when we are unprepared for storms, when we're unprepared for the famine that's coming, when we're living at the absolute edge and something comes that was unexpected. Speaking from experience, few things are more stressful than an unexpected famine you're not financially prepared for. Living paycheck to paycheck and your car stops working. Living paycheck to paycheck and that property tax bill shows up that you forgot comes every single November. These reasons and many more make money one of the most stressful things in our lives. Managing it, spending it, saving it, investing it, earning it, all cause us so much anxiety and so much stress, and so much worry. It becomes one of the driving forces for stress in our lives. We weren't made to live this way. There is another way. Dave Ramsey is a great financial guru, and if you've never heard of Dave Ramsey, uh, he has all kinds of resources available to help you manage your money better. Books, there's a course called Financial Peace University, which is uh, a comprehensive course. And if you are in an area where you've never had peace around your finances, and you're, you're, you're looking for help, you can let one of us know and put it on your Connect card, email us, and we'll get you connected with somebody uh, soon who's leading a Financial Peace University class, and we'll get you enrolled in that. It helps me, helped me a lot when I was learning how to manage money. But Dave Ramsey, in his materials, uses the phrase, we need to learn to live like no one else so that we can live like no one else else. In other words, just because everyone you know is using their money this way, spending their money this way, stressed about their money this way, does not mean that is how we have to live. That if we make some choices to, to follow some specific principles now, that we can live in a way that is stress-free around our finances, where our finances become a blessing to us and others, rather than the highest source of stress 
in our lives. And I believe that is how we were made to live because our God is not a God of stress. He is a God of peace. It is all over the Bible. Peace is what he offers us. Peace is who he is. Peace is what he brings us. And yet we allow so much stress into our lives in areas that are so simple to get the stress out of. It's not his nature. Isaiah is describing who Jesus will be as the prophet prophesies. He says, For unto us a child is born, and a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. It is his name. He is the God of peace. It is who he is. And then it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 36, you know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing this good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. His name is peace. His message is peace. And in Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is what he offers us. When you follow in the way of Jesus, peace is the result. Let's look at some financial principles of peace this morning and get the stress out of our finances for good. Uh, I'm go- what I want to do now is talk through six principles, and I promise I won't spend a lot of time on all of them. They're basic, they're practical, and if we can apply these six principles directly to our finances starting today, that I believe it would get the stress out and keep the stress out of your finances in your life. The first principle is obedience. Obedience. In fact, in fact as, as far as principles the scripture teach us that will allow us to live a stress-free life, this is one of the chief among them. Obedience. The first principle, the Bible offers up a lot of wisdom about money, but it also gives a command. God asks us to submit our finances to him. And the tithe is in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's not just a part of the law. It exists before the law and exists after. It isn't figurative or suggestive. It's one of the things that God asks us to do, to return The first 10% of our money is the first thing we budget, not the last thing. God asks us to give him our first thing. So often when we think about giving, it is one of those things that once everything else is done, we see what do we got left for this? And from the very beginning in the Bible, from one of the first stories in Genesis, God demands the very first. Before they had money, he wanted the first fruit. He wanted the best lamb. I don't know what the lamb whose both eyes looked in the same direction instead of all, I don't know. But he wanted the best and the first. And then when he got into money, he wanted the very first. Take, take first what you have and give to him. It is the number one area, the first area. And when we make this the first part of our finances, it does a few specific things for us. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, 23, it says, the purpose of the tithe, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. So here's what God knows about us. When we think of it as our money, as our safety, our security, our worth, our responsibility, we will always have stress because of it. But when we submit this first portion to him, it sends a message to us. It reminds us of who it came from, who our security is in, who gives us value, and whose responsibility we are. Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 12 says, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. I think often American Christianity throws out the parts of Scripture that make us uncomfortable. 
We just let them go because we don't want to think about it. We don't want to deal with it. We get really sensitive about our money. We don't want to talk about it. We don't like other people knowing about it. We're very private and protective over it, more so than other areas. We get easily offended when people talk about it. We shut down when somebody asks about it. And, and I think it's, it's some, one of those things that above other areas, there is a greater uh, private tension around. And I believe that is our enemy's strategy. See, I think he, he wants us to feel like it is something private and personal and that we have to deal with on our own because as long as that's true, we'll be more stressed about it. We won't use it as effectively. We won't steward it well, and we'll be more stressed out because of it, which will make us less effective as followers of Jesus, and that is our enemy's greatest plan. It says, goes on. He says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Verse 8 says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. There's only one place in all of Scripture where God dares the people to test him. And it is here in this area. Test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. I, I think that there are many ways that God blesses us when we're obedient in this area. But I think the main way that he's talking about, and really whenever the Bible talks about blessing, is in, is, is in a spiritual sense. See, blessing is a completion of the Spirit. Blessing is when we have a sense of praise deep down inside of us. He's talking about, he, say, he says, he'll keep the, pre, the pests from your crops. They won't drop the fruits too soon. Those are things that are very stressful around the finances of the people at the time. And I believe that what God says is, test me in this. Be obedient first with your money. Return the tithe. Be a part of this. And I want to bless you with a spiritual peace that is unlike anything you've experienced before I would throw open the floodgates of heaven that you might be blessed in this way. There are so many blessings that he has for us, and he dares the people of Israel to test him in this area. And I believe this dare stands for us today as well. Test him in this. Start giving from the first part of your finances, submitting the tithe, and see if it doesn't start to change the way you think about money and bless you as a result. We, we talk about in Growth Track something called the giving ladder. The giving ladder is just kind of a basic way to take the next step in this. We know, we've, we've been there, that it, 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 if you've never given before, never had a, a budget of generosity before, that stepping into 10% is a bit of a, a leap. And so we, we encourage you just to take the next step up the ladder, wherever you are. If you are not giving, consider giving occasionally and just testing it, testing it. If you're giving occasionally, you're dropping the, a little bit of money here and there in the bucket as it goes by, consider giving intentionally. Talk to your spouse or, or make a plan and say, I'm going to give this much this often and start to give intentionally. If you're doing that, consider giving proportionately, return a proportion. And then if you're doing that, consider giving extravagantly, radically, consider giving. And I believe that every time we take a step up this ladder, that God opens up blessings of peace in our heart and growth track. Uh, we talk a little bit more about that. And I just encourage you uh, to test God in this and see what happens. That first principle is obedience. 
I believe in this. This is a big one for my wife and I. We've practiced this since long before we were in ministry. Our staff and leaders are, are held to this standard. They practice this. And as a church, our church practices the tithe because we believe it is that important, that it is that serious, that this is such an important area in our financial life that takes the stress out. The second principle is contentment. Contentment. We need to learn to be content with what we have instead of always wanting what everyone else has. I think sometimes we're just wanters. We just want whatever, whatever we have is just not enough. We're always looking at the next thing, trying to figure out how to get that. My daughter, who is four years old, can be this way. Can't most four, isn't that just a four-year-old? But she, anytime, if I were to say, hey, honey, would you like a cookie? She will immediately say, no, I would like two cookies. And she's quite the negotiator. I'll say, no, you may have one cookie. And she'll say, well, how about one and three quarters of a cookie? And I'll say, no, you may have one cookie. And she'll say, okay, how about three cookies? And I'll say, no, you may have one cookie. And she'll say, I'll say, you may have no cookies. And she'll say, okay, I'll take that one cookie that we were talking about earlier. If I'm going to give her a toy, she says, can I get two toys? If we're going to watch a movie, she says, can I watch two movies, no matter what we offer, there always is a can I have and more. And if I'm being honest, she just gets it from me. She just gets it from me. I've been this way as long as I can remember. And the first 14 years that I drove, I had 19 different cars, 19 different cars, eight Jeeps. I mean, I was just always, anytime I bought a car, I immediately got on Auto Trader and started to think about how much money I could get for it and what I could get next. I was constantly thinking, what else, what else is gonna, anytime I get real stressed, I'd say, hey, Rail, I'd like to sell my car. I think I'd like a new car. I was always moving through them. I, I, I fill up my Amazon cart when I get real stressed out and I'll go look at that and it'll be like a pair of shoes that I already have. I'll have three different versions of it, you know, in the, in the cart. And I'll have to, t I'll have, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll say, okay, I need to have self-control. I need to be content and I'll move it from the, from the cart to the wish list. You know what I'm saying? Get it down there on that wish list for a little while. And, and then, you know what? The worst thing Amazon ever did to me was they added the buy it now button where you just swipe, doesn't even go to the car. It just goes straight to your house. You just swipe it and the doorbell rings and they're like, got it right here. And so I'll move it to the wish list for a little while. And then after after that, I'll delete it. I'm, okay, fine. I don't need that. I'm fine. Everything's good. I have to do mantras with myself. Everything I have is great. I, I'm, 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 I'm fully provided for. I'm well. I do, I do, I'm well. I do not need this. I've, I struggle with this. I understand this drive to always want something else, to never be content. And one of the things that my wife and I have tried to teach my daughter is we say, Eleanor, what does it mean to be grateful? What does it mean to be grateful? And she'll answer back, to be happy with what I have instead of wishing for what I don't have. And I just wonder, at what point am I gonna learn this? What does it mean to be grateful? To be happy with what I have, instead of wishing for what I don't have. And I just think, if we could just learn contentment, if we could just learn to be okay with what we have, to say I'm provided for, I have what I need, I do not need more. There's always a, a, a social media influencer or a, or a commercial. Commercials work on me, y'all. They work. There will be a commercial for something come across the TV and Ray will be like, don't look it up. And I'll be like, all right, fine. 
they just work on me. There's always something in this culture to remind us of what we don't have and the ways we'll be happier if we have it. But a funny thing happens. No matter how many things we accumulate, they don't bring any more joy. They don't bring any more peace. They don't bring any more satisfaction. They just send us searching for more and more and more to try and fill those voids. I think contentment If we could learn this principle of gratitude, of contentment around our finances, we would get a lot of the stress out of our finances. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we could take nothing with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. We've just got to learn this art of contentment, believing that we don't have to have a thing in order to be joyful. In fact, I, I, I was uh, talking with somebody this week about a, a, a documentary series I loved called The Men Who Built America. Did you guys ever see that? It was John B. Rockefeller and, and uh, J.P. Morgan and, and uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt and all these guys that had basically all the money in the 1800s. And kind of at the end of every single one of those shows, they would talk about how miserable all these people were. And it's just over and over again, we can see it, that it isn't the things that we have that bring us the joy that we think that they will. And yet we still want more. We need to learn contentment. He goes on in that passage, 1 Timothy 6, 9, he says, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. And for the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money that's evil. Money is just an object. It's neither good nor evil. That is our love for it. And some people craving money have wandered from true faith and pierced to themselves with many sorrows. In a country where the average car payment is $529 a month for 69 months, what would it look like if we could just learn to be content paying off what we have? If we could just learn to be content with what we've got? Contentment. Contentment being happy with what we have instead of wishing for what we don't have. The third principle is margin, margin. This is about the most practical one I can give you. This is one you can apply today that will absolutely change your life and remove a lot of stress from your finances, margin. Ever drive down Interstate 240 from downtown Asheville towards Interstate 40 and there's like six lanes there and there's a giant emergency lane on either side and truthfully, if you swerve a little bit, it's fine. Everybody's got a place to go. You know what I'm saying? It's gonna be fine. And then, and then if something goes wrong with your car, you can get all the way off the road. Do you ever drive down Interstate 26 between Interstate 40 and the outlet mall where there is 11 total feet for two cars to fit and there's a car concrete wall right here and there's a there's a steel barrier right here and if you sneeze you're going to hit something you know I'm just saying margin eliminates stress it takes stress out of your life if we're living out of our finances absolutely at the edge of our budget spending everything that we have it will create stress for us we need margin proverbs 21:20 says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. When you spend without building in margins, you are working your way towards a lot of debt and a lot of stress. Just a couple quick thoughts about this one, because I really believe in the importance of margin. And here's a couple ways to get it. Step one, if you want to have margin in your finances, is have a budget. Have a budget. Have a budget. On paper, on purpose, 
every month. I am very much, uh, everything I do is super structured. And that is because I am ADHD. I was trying to explain ADHD to Raelle a, a couple weeks ago. And I was telling her, you say, you know how your thoughts appear like in a thought bubble and all the words are in sentences? Mine's like a can of SpaghettiOs poured out on a floor. <laughs> That's how I think. And so I make lists of lists. This Monday I sat down and I made a list of different lists I was going to make in order to be more effective that week. And as I sat at that, stared at that list of lists, I thought I might have a problem here that I should deal with. And, and, and so with my budget, it's all, it's, it's by the penny, it's in spreadsheets, it's all, it's in, I've got it in two different apps. And, and, and so maybe that's not what you need to do. I know I, I shared that with somebody a few weeks ago and completely freaked them out and they may never make a budget now. Here's what I mean when I say a budget. I mean, you should know where all of your, where all of your bills are, where all of your money is going to get spent that month. You should have a plan for it. You should know how much you're gonna spend on groceries, how much you're gonna spend on eating out, entertainment, cable. You should have all of that in one place. And then every month you should look back on how you spent your money last month and see if you followed the plan. That's a budget. And when you make a budget, you build in margin everywhere that you can. Everywhere that you can, you add Margin, margin. When you're building your bar budget, create one with margin. If you're doing your best to make ends meet, you need a budget in order to stay out of debt and out of trouble with your money. If you're doing well and money, and you don't have a budget because you know the money will be there when you swipe your card, you need a budget in order, in order to be wise and to be generous and to be a good steward with the money that you have. When you're building your budget, create Margin. I always use the rule of 80, 10, 10, 80, 10, 10. Uh, I give 10% first, right off the top. That's, that is the first part of the budget, always has been. Uh, save 10% and then live on the other 80%. Uh, and out of that 80%, 5% is margin, is built in. It's okay, I think this is how much my groceries are gonna cost. Let me put some margin in there. It always feels good when you come in under that number. Makes you, man, I am so good with money. But no, I put margin there. <laughs> and so put margin in. And we live on 75% of our income. We've been doing that since we were making $36,000 on two, both of us combined. And so it's not a matter of how much money you have. It's not something, it's just a matter of how you spend it and the discipline that you exercise and the choices that you make. We've always been in the position where there's been things we wanted that we did not buy because we are trying to be wise with our money and leave margin in our budget. And as a result, we have a lot less stress around our finances. Simplify your finances and build in margin. Fourth principle is generosity. Generosity, generosity, not just in the form of the tithe. Generosity is in being a generous person, giving when you can, using the margin that you have to bless people, putting it in your budget, an ability to bless people financially. A good example of this is your tip, the way you tip people at restaurants. Be a generous person. In other words, with, with a tip, I think a lot of times we use it as a report card. Many would make the argument that is what it is, a report card on how well the waiter did. And that is what I do, but for our baseline, whenever we go out to eat, it's 20%. And so if the waiter has their thumb in my water as they're bringing me the cup and sets it down on the table and they sneeze right as they're handing me my salad and it's like extra dressing, I still am going to tip that waiter 20%. And if there's somebody who really impresses me, then I'm going to take it up from there. I believe it's important to be generous, to be generous whenever you can, however you can. Psalm 112, 5 
It says, good come to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. And Proverbs 11.25 says, the generous will prosper and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And it feels good to be generous. It takes stress out of your finances because as you use what you have to refresh others, you yourself are refreshed. That's why I practice so much stupid generosity. It made me feel good about all the other stupid financial decisions I was making. But now to practice wise generosity is much better. You, generosity refreshes us as we refresh others. Generosity. The fifth principle is integrity. Integrity. Money will always cause stress when you try to hide what you are doing with it. Money will always cause you stress when you are spending it on things that you need to hide. Integrity. Integrity. Integrity is doing the same thing in private that you would do in public. 2 Corinthians 8.21 We are careful to be honorable before the Lord. We also want what everyone else to see to be honorable. We also want everyone else to see that we are honorable. What I do in private should be the same thing that I do in public. If you are spending your money in a way that you need to hide from your spouse, if you get nervous every time she logs on to your, your bank account, every time that, that she asks about the budget, then something is wrong. And that will always bring you stress. It will always bring you stress to have to hide something you are doing with your money. I believe that living with integrity in every area of your life is one of the fastest ways to getting stress out of your life. Because very few things add stress, add strain, add anxiety, add depression to your life than a lack of integrity and the pressure that it puts on you. Very few things put a weight on you than having to hide something. And I think so often in our money, we hide little things and we justify it and we justify it until it gets out of control and it creates stress. So let me encourage you, operate your finances out of a place of integrity as often, all 100% of the time, and give opportunities to balance and check that integrity as often as possible. Finally, this morning as we close, the last principle is a big one, and it's just dependence. Dependence. We put such a high priority on being independent. We, 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 want, we want to be in control of our fate, of our finances, of everything, and we, we, we look at it as our money, our security. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look at how I've prepared and as a result, the tighter we hold, the more stressed we are, the more strained we are. But over 20 times in the Bible, it, God says to trust him for our provision, to trust him, to rely on him, to remember that it comes from him, that he is the provider, that he is the one who blesses us, who, who gives to, in Jesus' big message on worry that he gives in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, one of, the, one of the chief areas he addresses anxiety is our desire to be provided for. And Jesus says, don't worry about these things. Look at the flowers of the field and how beautifully they're dressed. And they're here today and gone tomorrow. And if our Father provides for these, how much more richly will he provide for you? See, he, just, he will. We just have to learn to depend on him, to trust him. When we're well provided for, we need to remember who it comes from, who to submit it to dependence on God in our finances.
Release that desire for independence. Release that desire to stand on your own and, and the pride that comes with it. And learn to trust in the one who has said, I will provide for you. Who in prayer, Jesus says to pray, give us this day our daily bread. God, provide for me. See, I, I think finances is one of those areas that the enemy has successfully secularized. We think it's just separate from God. Even if we tithe, we still think of our money a lot of times as separate from God. Oh, I give this to the church. The rest of this belongs to me. This is my money. I'm gonna spend it my way. I'm gonna earn it my way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna protect it my way. I'm gonna provide for my family with it. I'm gonna provide for the people close to me with it. I'm gonna use it. I'm gonna, this is me. We just, we think it, that this is a material thing, that it's a thing that is, exists in this world apart from God, but the reality is it was always supposed to be spiritual. And if you follow Jesus, every aspect of your life, every aspect of your life should contain permission for the Holy Spirit to do his work. We are spiritual. We have a spirit inside of us. If you follow Jesus, you have his spirit inside of you. Let the Holy Spirit into your finances. Let God into your finances. Let finances be a spiritual thing in your life. Whenever I do the budget every month, one of the things that I do is I pray before I do it. And it's a simple prayer. It's like a ritual for me now, but it is heartfelt and I mean it. And I just say, God, thank you so much for what you provided for my family this month. I thank you for every ounce of provision. I know it comes from you. I just ask that you would give me wisdom and discernment on every penny. Help me to operate with integrity. God, give me the ability to be a good steward. Anything that is unnatural to me, Father, let your Holy Spirit fill in the gaps. Help me to be content and wise and to be a blessing to somebody with this money this month. Every time. Because I need my money to be spiritual so that I don't have to stress about it and feel like it's my responsibility, my job. And here's the good news. If you've operated on your own and without allowing him into your finances, then you may have some hard work to do to get ahead. There may be some hard work ahead. I've been there. I've been through it. I've done it all. I've been as irresponsible as you could possibly be with money. And I've had to learn through painstaking processes how to get out of that. But you can begin to depend on God today. Right here, right now, today, you can say, God, I want you in my finances. I want peace. I want freedom. I want to be released from this stress, from this strain. I don't want to hide it anymore. I don't want to carry it anymore. I don't want to be responsible for it anymore. I need you here. And he will receive you with open arms. Open arms. In Luke 15, that story ends like this. He's got nothing left. He spent everything that he had. The storm came. He wasn't prepared. And he said, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. This was the speech he prepared for himself. We, we just try to justify and we think, e even here, he's going to go depend on his dad. And he thinks, let me make sure I'm doing this my way. But before he can get a word in edgewise, it says he returned home to his father while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion, ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. This is who our father is. This is his heart. It's his nature. He will receive you right. No matter how many bad decisions you've made, 
no matter how much you've hid, no matter how much guilt you feel, shame you feel, hurt you feel, anxiety you feel, stress you feel, he is waiting to receive you with compassion, with love. He wants to give you joy. He wants to give you peace. He wants to, to help you to live in a way that is better than anything you ever dreamed of, with more blessing than you ever imagined. He's got it prepared for you. We just have to make the decision to depend on him. Money doesn't have to be your main area for stress. We can begin to apply these simple principles of peace. We can stop believing that we could do it all on our own. And we can invite his wisdom, his word, his spirit into our finances. And he will receive us and he will release us. If you're in here this morning and you've always had stress around money because you've always had to do it on your own. And all these areas of your life, whether it's relationships or work or time or money or just life in general has brought you anxiety and strain and stress. And it's because you've just tried to do it by yourself. You've never been in a relationship with Jesus. Let me encourage you that all of that can change today. That you, you can have the weight lifted off of you today. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you can lay the weight down at his feet and he will receive it. He's got forgiveness prepared for you, freedom prepared for you, purpose prepared for you. All you have to do is just say yes to an invitation that he offered 2,000 years ago. If that's you this morning and you'd like to enter into a relationship with Jesus, every head bowed, every eye closed, say this prayer with me. Father, thank you for making a way for me to be free. Forgive me for all of my sins. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own. Forgive me for trying to make it on my own. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you paid for my freedom on the cross, that you offered me life, and I invite you into my heart today. I give myself to you, everything that I am, from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen.